This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Mark Cuban. How you do anything is how you do everything. If you're not, if you don't pay attention to detail on the little things, you're not going to be in the habit of paying attention to detail for the big things. Ken Griffey Jr. Hey, he wears his hat backwards. Well, I wear my hat backwards because my dad had a fro and I wanted to wear his hat. And if I put his hat on at age six and, you know, he's got a eight and a half and I got like a little five, it's not going to really stay on my head. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. John Smoltz. Is if you don't have the imagination and the willingness to fail or not being afraid to fail, I don't think you can be truly great. Candace Parker. I have so much hope for this generation coming up that I've grown up with women in sports, in leadership roles, on television, speaking about sports, speaking knowledgeably about sports. Pau Gasol. To me, all the work that I've done, all the humanitarian work that I've done has always given me great perspective, has allowed me to keep my feet on the ground and uh, has really put and reminded me what's truly important. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio, powered by Molka Sports. You can learn more about them at malkasports.com. Our guest on the podcast this week, a friend of mine, longtime friend, someone I still work with occasionally, Jeremy McPeak, longtime social media quarterback for a number of sports organizations, events, and brands. He was the head of social media for the NBA's Phoenix Suns for many years. He's kind of a social media OG. He's going to join me to discuss the current state of social media as it relates to sports. We're also going to discuss Elon Musk's recent purchase of Twitter and how that may impact the sports landscape. We're going to give you the latest monthly active user numbers and targeted demos for the most popular social media platforms that are regularly utilized by sports organizations. We're also going to contemplate the future of social media as it relates to sports. I'm always amazed. Social media hasn't been around that long. It's really just been the last 10 or 15 years. And what was our life before then? What are the apps that still haven't been developed? If you work in social media and sports, what is your life like? This is a really interesting conversation with someone who is a social media expert, Jeremy McPeak. I think you'll enjoy it on this edition of Sports Business Radio. I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? I'm doing good. And uh, man, Jeremy, you learn a lot in this interview. He is so good at what he does and knows so many stats and little uh, behind the scenes looks at all these social media apps and everything. So you'll learn a lot today. I learned a lot and it's a fascinating interview. Yeah, if you're a student and you listen to this and you're thinking about working in digital or in social media or in journalism, this is a fascinating conversation for you. And I think, you know, we'll really hope you determine, is this the industry I want to work in? Maybe you're going to leave this going, oh my gosh, this is the job for me. Or you might go, oh, I might burn out pretty quickly on that. There's a lot more entailed than I thought. So it's a, it's a really good uh, conversation with someone who's worked in the industry for a long time. Let's look at some Sports Business Radio headlines, Griggs. 
Headline number one, Major League Baseball suspended Trevor Bauer for two full seasons for violating Major League Baseball's joint domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse policy. This had been a long investigation. Major League Baseball finally shared the results and the suspension last Friday late in the day. This could mean a savings of $28 million a year for the Dodgers because players are not paid during suspension. Bauer has said on Twitter that he is going to sue the woman who made these accusations. Another woman has come forward with accusations against Bauer, according to the Washington Post. But Griggs, this really kind of sets the tone for other leagues, the NBA, the NFL, NHL, Major League Soccer. If something similar happens in the future, two years is a very big penalty. And you would think if anyone falls short of that in the future, people are going to go, well, look how Major League Baseball handled this. They they took this seriously. You need to take it as seriously as they did. So it's going to be interesting to see going forward. Lots of layers to this story. For sure. And I think it's an ongoing story. Like you said, there's lawsuits involved now. He's appealing stuff. Other people coming out. I mean, this is far from being over. And, uh, you know, MLB took their time on this and I think they did the right thing. I agree. A strong penalty needs to happen, which they've done. So I applaud them for that. And uh, yeah, it took a while because I almost kind of forgot about the story. And then it came out Friday. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. We were still dealing with Bauer. And uh, here we go. But it's ongoing and it's going to continue to develop for sure. The other thing, I don't know that I've ever seen anything like this. And I, you know, I've been on social media for a while. I'm not an OG like Jeremy, our guest today, but Trevor Bauer published the text between he and the woman who is accusing him. And to say they were graphic would be an understatement. I don't know why you would publish those. I don't know how he thought those were going to help his cause. I think he's trying to show that this was consensual, but Gosh, you know, if you see the conversations taking place between he and this woman, at the very least, you're going, wow, you're a little bit scary guy. And, you know, not not everyone does things the way you do them. And I I just don't see the value of him publishing those texts. And I don't know that that was kind of uh, alarming to see those on on social media. I know they got shared in a lot of places, but, uh, you know, it, it was just odd. Yeah, another thing too, as we talk about, once that's shared, it's a screenshot and it's out there for the world. So those are going to be out there forever. And it's kind of odd, like you said, most people would kind of try to bury that stuff, not you know present it for the world. But he is probably trying to say, look, this was both of us, but at the same time, yeah, really explicit and pretty heavy stuff. So I, uh, I don't think I would have done that. All right, our next headline, the NFL draft took place last week. Ratings were down for the first round by 20% from last year and 34% from the 2020 virtual draft, the draft with Roger Goodell in his basement making picks. Um, Griggs, what were your thoughts on the coverage? I watched all the different platforms and, uh, you know, I thought it was good, but there were no stars in the draft. It was a lot of defensive players, a lot of wide receivers. There were some compelling stories, but I, I just didn't, I wasn't into it like I've been in years past. Yeah, I did it mainly on streaming. And um, when you don't have those big stars coming in like quarterbacks, people just aren't quite as interested. I do love the fashion aspect, man. Some of those guys were rocking some suits and some shoes that uh, I'd like to have. So that was fun. Between that and the Met Gala this week, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with what the fashion trends are. Let's just say that I'm way out of touch. If those are the fashion trends, <laughs> I mean, you know, I wear my own. 
and I'm happy with my my Roan gear, and I know you do too. And I'm going to stick with that. I don't I don't think I can wear some of the things that they were wearing. I mean, you know, good for them, looks good on them. Would not be so much for me, but uh, yeah, there were a lot of fits. The other thing is Roger Goodell. It's like he worked out his handshakes and hugs with the draft picks before they got to the stage because there were some pretty well thought out uh, handshakes and fist bumps and high fives and things like that. The other thing that I loved is when they brought the Make-A-Wish kids out. Uh, When Kevon Thibodeau was drafted by the Giants, there was a -A Make-A-Wish kid, and this kid was hyped to meet Thibodeau and to be on stage and to announce the pick. So I thought that was a really neat element that the NFL did is where they had some of the Make-A-Wish kids on stage to announce the pick. They got to, you know, hug and fist bump and high five the pick when they came on the stage with Roger Goodell. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, the NFL and Make-A-Wish have been such a great partnership and they always do such cool things and on the field passes and Super Bowl tickets and yeah, being up to the draft. That's re- that's really cool. Fun to see those kids have that moment that they'll always remember. And uh, I agree. I love Roger Goodell's rehearsed daps and uh, handshakes. Still looks a little rusty, but uh, hey, I like the improvement. Yeah. All right. Sticking in the NFL, this is big news. Arizona Cardinals star wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins has been suspended six games for violating the NFL's policy on performance enhancing drugs. The league announced this on Monday. You wondered during the draft, they acquired Hollywood Brown from the Baltimore Ravens. And you're like, oh, my God, the Cardinals have a lot of receivers now. Like, why do they have so many receivers? How are they going to get targets? All this stuff. Well, now it makes sense because Hopkins is going to be out the first six games and in typical athlete apology form, he posted on his social media. I apologize, which is great, but I put something in my body, obviously that I wasn't aware of. And I'm really religious about what I put in my body and everything I put in my body. I know about it, but I must've put something in my body that, you know, I I've never tested positive. Like I can see his frustration, but Griggs, I'm 53. I've, pretty much known what I put in my body my whole life. I've never tested positive for anything. I'm not an elite athlete. I'm not being tested as much, but I just don't get the whole excuse of, I don't know what I was putting in my body and, oh, something must have set off the alarm of the testing and now I'm suspended for six games. You're a world-class athlete. All you're concerned about is your body and what you're putting into it and your mental health and things like that. So when they come out with, these, I don't know what I was putting into my body or someone gave me this and I just rubbed the cream on me and had no idea it was a steroid or whatever. Like I have a hard time buying it. Yeah, I don't buy it either. And the, I mean, these guys have nutritionists and cooks and chefs and the doctors and everything else. I mean, that is their number one thing is their body. They have to keep it tip top shape and they have to know what's going in it and on it. And you always hear that excuse. Every time somebody gets caught with a drug thing, it's always like, I didn't know it. I didn't know I was putting my thing. I didn't know it was in this. I didn't know what the doctor gave me. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. These guys, that that's all they have to be concerned about is their body. So I don't buy it. All right. Our next headline, the NBA playoffs. We're in the semifinals round. The big news of this round, Joel Embiid is out for at least the first two games of the Sixers series versus the Heat. This affects everything. Betting lines. Coverage, obviously, how the Sixers are going to play. Um, as we record this, it was a fairly close game one. I mean, they played pretty well without him. Obviously, relied on Harden and Tobias Harris and Maxi a lot more. But, you know, Joel Embiid is one of the three finalists for MVP in the league. And when you take him out of your lineup, it's a big impact. So big blow for the Sixers, Griggs. Yeah, I mean, I picked Philly out of the East and... 
with Joel out. Not looking good right now, but, you know, they still have some players and hopefully he gets back and the series is still, you know, going on and close. So I got my chance for Philly. And then, I mean, Phoenix, you're Phoenix. You picked them out of the West and man, you see when they get Booker back, they are a force to be reckoned with. They look good in game one and uh, just a lot of weapons there. So I think Phoenix is going to be good. NBA playoffs are so fun. I just love watching all the series. Yeah, I mean, I picked Phoenix and Milwaukee to get to the finals, and I stand by that. Milwaukee went into Boston game one and slowed them down, and there's no answer for Giannis. That's the thing is what happens when you win a championship like the Bucs did last year is it removes the, the burden and the pressure. You've got one under your belt now. You know what it takes to win one. And Milwaukee now, you can see Giannis and Drew Holiday, even with Middleton out, they are playing more comfortable. They're like, we should be here. We're the defending champ. And Giannis is just a beast. And he turns it up during the playoffs. And he's pretty much unguardable at this point. So, you know, I don't care if it's the Celtics or the Heat, which are two of the best defensive teams in the league. I mean, if you're Milwaukee, you're probably going to have to beat Boston for sure. That's the series they're in now. You're probably going to have to beat Miami. And you're probably going to have to beat Phoenix. Those are three of the top defensive teams in the league. But, you know, Giannis is, is as long as he stays healthy, he is a force of nature and, you know, it's going to be tough. But what Phoenix has done now is they've got a collection of defenders on their team where they can throw lots of different looks at Giannis. They can use lots of different fouls and they can hopefully wear him down over a seven game series if you're a Suns fan. So, it's going to be interesting. Uh, Golden State looks great. You know, that Golden State Memphis game one was fantastic. So I don't know. I mean, I think really any of the teams remaining, you could see winning it other than the Sixers. If there's no Joel Embiid, if Embiid comes back, then yeah, you know, any one of the remaining teams could probably win it. So, uh, you know, I'm happy with how the playoffs are progressing. The ratings are pretty good. They're not great, but they're they're pretty good. It's amazing. The NFL draft still gets a higher number than the NBA playoffs. And, you know, the playoffs are the marquee time of year for the NBA. And the draft is Commissioner Goodell reading 32 names from a, a note card. And, and that gets, you know, millions of viewers more than the NBA playoffs. But it just shows you the power of the NFL, Griggs. Yeah, NFL is always king, as we say, and uh, it shows it. Off-season, regular season, playoffs, preseason, it's always winning no matter what it's up against. But, uh, you know, I'm excited, too. NHL playoffs started last night, and I love the coverage this year because the new, you know, network with ESPN, TNT, a lot more games on regular, you know, ESPN networks. So that was kind of fun. Watched a few of them last night. All right, so our last headline over the last weekend, two expansion teams Prove that soccer continues to trend in the United States, capitalizing on celebrity ownership to build fan bases. So we've had the owners and the presidents of both of these teams right here on Sports Business Radio. So on Friday, the NWSL's Angel City FC won its home opener 2-1 to one over the North Carolina Courage in front of a sellout crowd of 22,000 at Bank of California Stadium. Jennifer Garner, Julie Foudy, Mia Hamm, Billie Jean King, Abby Wambach, who has been on this show and is one of the owners, they're all part owners of Angel City FC. They were in attendance. It was a great night for women's sports and women's soccer and the NWSL, so that was cool. Then on Sunday, MLS's Nashville SC played Philadelphia to a 1-1 draw with just over 30,000 in attendance in its newly opened Geodis Park. It's the largest soccer-specific stadium in the country 
We've had their president on. So it shows the growth of soccer in the United States. Congratulations to both organizations on, you know, launching their new home stadiums. And, you know, I think they're going to have great crowds for years to come. And, you know, it's neat to see years of work come to fruition in the case of Angel City FC. Uh, you know, Natalie Portman had an idea, the actress, and, and she wanted to start a women's soccer club in Los Angeles, and they got a bunch of celebrity owners involved. Now they're doing a lot of best practices when it comes to uh, selling sponsorships and partnering with uh, community members and, and stuff like that. So it's it's pretty neat to see, Griggs. Yeah, I mean, I, I love soccer. I think it's uh, obviously the world number one sport. You see these, you know, world Euro leagues and towns shut down when their teams are in the World Cup and you see how big it is. And I love that it's finally getting to America. And the Angel City game was so cool. And I just love the Pack Stadium and all the owners. What a great idea. That's going to just be really, really good in Nashville, too. So, yeah, I think soccer's growing. I love it. The crowd is the crowds are fun. It's just a great atmosphere. I love going in Portland, the Timbers games and the uh, Thorns games are always a blast. Now with NBA playoffs underway, Major League Baseball underway, NHL playoffs, I am on my underdog fantasy app every night. Underdog Fantasy is the official gaming partner of Sports Business Radio. It's the fastest growing fantasy app ever released with investors that include Mark Cuban, Kevin Durant, Adam Schefter, Jared Goff, and many more. The Underdog Fantasy app is available at underdogfantasy.com on iOS or on Android. I love it. I play a lot of Pick'em. I do Rivals. There's best ball. It makes watching the games a lot more fun. So we've got a special offer for Sports Business Radio listeners. New users can get up to $100 matched on their first deposit when they use the code SBR. So download the app at underdogfantasy.com and then enter the promo code SBR to get up to $100 to play with. All right, coming up next, Jeremy McPeak longtime social media quarterback for a number of sports organizations, events, and brands. He's the former head of social media for the NBA's Phoenix Suns. This is a really interesting conversation about the future of social media, digital, how you put content out on all of the various platforms. I think you're going to enjoy this. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. My guest is Jeremy McPeak. He's a longtime social media quarterback for a number of organizations and events. He oversaw the social media efforts for the NBA's Phoenix Suns for many years. He's the founder of Jeremy McPeak Communications. His clients include the Arizona Super Bowl Host Committee, the Fiesta Bowl, Women's Premier Soccer League, Up Next Fighting, which is MMA, and United Wrestling Network. You can follow him on social media at Jeremy We've been friends for a long time. Jeremy, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? Hey, Brian. Glad to be a uh, part of the show. I think this is the first time you've had me on. So I know. I'm kind of embarrassed to, to say that. Yeah, 18 <laughs> years, and, and it took this long to get you on. I just wanted to, you know, in light of Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter, I wanted to have yeah. you on to kind of discuss the evolving and changing landscape of social media as it relates to sports, because it's such an important sure. part of, you know, anyone's PR plan and, you know, what teams and leagues are doing. You know, I saw recently where Mark Cuban was interviewed and he said, you know, I've got three teens and they're not watching TV. They're getting all their highlights and their news on TikTok and Instagram stories. And so the yeah, younger generation is consuming sports, you know, in snippets, not in, you know, full 
you know, they're not sitting down to watch a three hour major league baseball game. They're, they're getting the highlights on TikTok. I was shocked. Uh, my daughter follows major league baseball on TikTok and, and finds some of their videos pretty funny. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like I had no idea that she was, <laughs> she was doing that, but let's start with Twitter. So uh, Elon Musk has taken the reins at Twitter. The board approved his offer at $54.20 yep. a share, which would net out at approximately $46.5 billion. So in order to finance the move, Musk sold $8 billion in Tesla stock to pair it with $21 billion in cash. Wouldn't that be nice? He got a margin no loan of, <laughs> a margin <laughs> loan of $12.5 billion and then a series of loans worth the remaining $13.5 billion to cover the remainder. And about 22% of adults use Twitter. So um, what do you think is going to happen with Twitter going forward now that Elon Musk is involved? And, you know, there's a lot of speculation, but you're as much of a guru when it comes to social media as anyone I know. So that's why I wanted to have you on. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Think about how many sports franchises he could buy with that money and, and fix those. Well, I think he fixing Twitter. Yeah, I think I saw something that he could have bought like every NFL, every NBA, and every Major League Baseball <laughs> team for what he's paying for Twitter. Yeah, I've got a few teams that I would suggest he uh, he buy and fix, but <laughs> I won't get into that. Um, yeah, who who knows? To be honest, you know, I, I've been I've been reading about a lot about him and his his ideas for Twitter, and I've been thinking a lot about it. And, it, it's really hard to say what's going to happen, obviously. Um, but Twitter itself, you, you know, long before he was, you know, involved or or even thought about buying Twitter himself, Twitter has been constantly evolving since the day it launched. I feel like every three, four, three or four months, there's some new feature or new functionality or, you know, whether it was an initially adding pictures and then videos and then live video, you had Meerkat and, and Periscope and and uh, and then it was polls and now it's NFTs and Twitter spaces. And so uh, the platform is constantly evolving. And I just kind of see this as the next step. He's going to continue to make changes and make tweaks to it. Um, my hope is that one of the first things he does is add a, add the edit edit button. Yes. Um, at least for, you know, verified accounts or for brands, you know, like for for sports teams and leagues. Um, give them the ability to fix mistakes that they make because we're all humans. And especially when you're covering a sports event or game, um, you're, you're tweeting pretty uh, quickly and it's very easy to make a typo and it just, it, it makes your brand look bad and makes you feel dumb if you're the one that made the typo. Right. Um, now you may not want, you know, every, every person to have the edit button because then, you know, people are going to be constantly, um, tweaking and revising things that they said and things that, you know, might be, you know, condemning of something that they said, and then they just go back and change it. Um, I don't know if that makes sense in this world of free speech that he wants to make sure and protect on Twitter. But, but I think brands should be able to have the ability to, to at least fix their errors, I would hope. But, you know, I, I'm excited to see what he does. I, I he's a, obviously a very creative person. He's a, somebody that's always looking for innovation and change and, he says he wants to make Twitter maximum fun, whatever that means. And he wants to <laughs> unlock the potential of Twitter. So I, I have a feeling he probably has a lot of unique ideas that he's going to uh, bring to the platform. And, and I'm excited to see what, uh, what comes of it here in the next uh, year to five years. So the two main demos for Twitter 
25 to 34 and 35 to 49. And there's a lot of journos. And like you said, a lot of celebrities, a lot of brands, a lot of teams and leagues, they use Twitter. So, you know, I think sometimes we get a little bit lost and, oh my gosh, they said this and this, and it was on Twitter. And, you know, we forget only 22% of people are on Twitter. It's not like this is going out to the entire universe, but you know, I could see where Elon Musk certainly wants to grow that number from 22% to, you know, isn't that crazy? It does feel like, especially in our world, you you and I work in media and and, and in sports, it feels like everybody's on Twitter, but 22%, that's still, still a pretty small portion of the overall population. But I think people freak out because it's a lot of journos, right? So it's like, ooh, yeah. you know, such and such journalist just put this out or, you know, Woj, sure. Woj tweeted this or Adam Schefter tweeted that and, uh, you know, Jeff Passan, like when they put stuff out, it goes out to lots of people and it's consumed by people in the industry and things right. like that. So it's probably more who's saying it rather than how many are saying it. Um, I think one of the interesting things, and this has been floated as an idea, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it, is do you ever see Twitter being used as a paid platform? Or do you think they might keep it as it is and have like a premium paid platform? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I don't think the entire platform will ever be paid, whereas you know right. everybody has to pay to use it or be right. on it. But but I do think, um, and I think Elon Musk has even even touched on this a little bit. But I think um, there will be for sure paid subscriber models if you want to get specific, you know, get get exclusive content, if you will, um, through the platform. And I, I think that is a, a way that Twitter could start to generate more money, more revenue. Um, I would also like to see them just change their ad platform. Period. I, I, you know, for, for brands and for sports teams and sports properties, um, Instagram and Facebook both have great ad platforms and models and, and you can really reach a lot of people in targeted demographics for, um, you know, not a huge spend, but on Twitter, you know, the spend is so much higher to reach the same number of people and, and the same type of people that it's not, it's not even worth it. I never recommend any of my clients use Twitter for advertising. I use it for, for brand and communication, of course, but um, I would hope that they they fix that model because I think that's a mess and that could probably bring them more money as well. Yeah, that's interesting. I just think there's an opportunity for some premium content. And, you know, you look at how Twitter is monetized and it's mainly through advertising. You know, I, I'm not really aware of other, I, I know they have uh, partnerships with leagues and teams and brands and, and stuff like sure. that. But, um, you know, you start looking at how do they monetize this better? And and someone like Elon Musk, pretty smart when it comes to monetizing yeah. things and, yeah. you know, maximizing value on things. You can say whatever you want about him as a, as a human being or a person, but when it comes to making money and monetizing things, I, I don't think you can argue with his results with all of his businesses so far. Yeah, agreed. He he will figure that out. I'm I'm confident in that. Um, when it also comes to Twitter, you know, are there any other features that you'd ever want to see them add? Like, I think Twitter Spaces is pretty cool. Like, I think that's grown. Um, you know, I've hopped into a few of them just to kind of be a voyeur and and observe. Um, and I think around certain, you know, if it's NBA playoffs or you know a big game just happened or something, like it's kind of cool to get into that space and 
you know, you can interact with people. Are there other engaging interactive things that you think Twitter might be able to do beyond spaces? I think, you know, they, they can always tweak the platform. They can always add new things. I think they can make things more interactive. There might be, uh, there might be gambling components of Twitter at some point where you can place bets through Twitter Ooh. and see and see kind of the results of bets or see, you know, what the um, how people are betting one way or another and kind of see that change. Like live betting like lines. Can, yeah, exactly. Kind of like you can see with polls. Uh, I'm not saying I necessarily want that, but I, I could see that coming. I could, too. Um, That's a really good point. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, I think that that's definitely something that could come. Um. But I mean, they're, they're doing so much now. There's so many components of Twitter and so many things about Twitter, you know, from live sports to the live score, scoring crawls. And there's so, there's so many things they're already doing. It's hard to say what they're missing exactly. Um, I think they need to clean some things up. You know, he, he's talked a lot about getting rid of the fake accounts. There are a right. lot of oh my spam, gosh. spam so accounts. Many bots. Bot, bot accounts and uh, authentic finding a way to actually authenticate people as real human beings, I think is, would be a big step. Um, they need to get rid of the X rated content. I mean, you don't see that on, you don't see that on Instagram and you don't see that on Facebook. And for some reason, Twitter just allows people to post whatever they want. And you don't know who those people are or if they're underage or, I mean, there's just a, it's just, it's just a seedy side of Twitter that a lot of people don't talk about, but it's just there and it shouldn't be in my, my opinion. Um, Talked about the edit button, improving the ad platform, uh, scheduling. I would love to see them bring back uh, the ability, especially for brands, to schedule tweets uh, through the app, through the native Twitter app, not having to go to TweetDeck um, to do that. Hmm. They, they for, for a while, they had a like a separate app um, where you could, on your phone, you could schedule tweets. And I, I loved it. It was a fantastic tool. Um, and for some reason, they got rid of it after a year or so. Um, like a lot of things they do, they, they bring them out and try them and then they get rid of them for some reason. And so I, I never really heard what the reason was for that, but, but I think that would be really big for brands to be able to schedule things just like you can, you can schedule Instagram and Facebook posts on your phone and on the fly. And you can't really do that through Twitter, um, uh, in a, in an easy way. So that's something I wish they would bring back. Yeah. I'd like to see you be able to tag more than 10 people in a tweet. I, yeah, I, yes, I, that'd be good. You know, I don't. I, like I think Instagram, you can tag more than that. So I, I don't know why you can't do that on Twitter. Um, I totally agree with you on the edit button. That you know, we all make mistakes, and you should be able to go back and edit if you got the wrong score, or you you know misspelled something, or whatever it may right. be. Um, yeah, I, I I just think you know they've got an interesting path forward because I think they have a lot of upside. Again, 22% of adults are using Twitter. Um, So that comes down to about 436 million monthly active users. So let me give our audience a few stats uh, of the top social media platforms currently. So Facebook has 2.9 billion monthly active users. I mean, that is astonishing. It's amazing. Amazing. Um, Instagram has 2 billion monthly active users. And for those of you out there who don't know this, I think most people do know this, Facebook and Instagram are basically one company, right? Like Facebook owns Instagram. So, you know, you add those two numbers up, you're looking at almost 5 billion monthly active users. That is a lot of people. Um, 
TikTok has really grown. So they're at 1 billion monthly active users. And the crazy thing about TikTok, if we want to move into that right now, Jeremy, is this is a platform that really resonates with the younger audience. It used to be, you know, you thought of TikTok of just, you know, people making dances and and right, stuff right. like that. And the target audience for TikTok is 10 to 19 years old and it skews 60% females. So, um, you know, there's a lot of young people on there. And look, if you're Major League Baseball and you're trying to get that hard to reach younger demographic, TikTok is where you want to be. If you're trying to get more yeah. uh, women fans, female fans, TikTok is where you want to be. And the thing to me, like I just said, it used to be, you know, you went out there and you just saw dance videos. Now it's highlights of games. It's, you know, quick snippets of interviews. It's fun ways to get to know these athletes and coaches off the yeah. field and, and humanizing them. So I think TikTok is a really important tool for sports organizations and for brands. What do you think? Oh, I agree. It's, um, it's a very different tool. It's, it's very different than Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and, and the way sports teams have been using those platforms um, over the years where it was primarily putting out content, getting fans excited about your team, highlight reels, uh, promoting the upcoming game, that kind of thing. TikTok really needs to be a have a different strategy, and it needs to be more more fun and quirky and and creative and edited different. So it really takes a different mindset and and uh, almost uh, almost different people to kind of be focused on that day in and day out. But I but I totally agree. I think it's a, a fantastic platform, really important platform for reaching younger people. Um, reaching different people at different, uh, even if it's the same, you know, same ages, but just reaching people in a different way, connecting with people and, and getting them excited and getting them to, to um, know who your players are and what they're like. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's fun. It's, um, it's not completely in my wheelhouse. Like I, it's not something that I'm necessarily um, the greatest at in, term, in terms of thinking of that creative, quirky content. It's just not the way I was trained or what I learned as a journalist. Um, so it's uh, I, I bring people in to help on my team with my clients to, to create that kind of content. But, um, you know, I've done some work with the NBA and, and WNBA. And during the uh, WNBA finals last year, they asked me to, you know, go ask a number of players uh, after practices these quirky questions, which were then turned into TikToks. And so I remember one of them was, you know, um, is cereal a soup? <laughs> and, you know, just just totally, you know, random, quirky off the wall has nothing to do with the WNBA finals. But, you know, the players enjoyed being asked something different and they put some serious thought into it and gave funny answers. And it was great. And it turned into, you know, a really good uh, video on TikTok that got great numbers and that kind of stuff. Again, I think um, connects to, you know, a different audience and, and people will watch that even if they're not necessarily a WNBA fan and they might think it's funny. And now they, now they know who Diana Taurasi is or, um, you know, they know, they now know who a certain player is and maybe they'll watch a game at some point because they've seen a bunch of TikToks of that player. And they think they're really funny. So, uh, just like the example of your daughter with, uh, watching, 
you know, following MLB and kind of starting to learn more about baseball through TikTok, I think that's uh, that's the prime example of what can happen if you really take advantage of that platform. Well, in the video she showed me, like it really doesn't have anything to do with anything other than just something funny. So there's this player and he gets hit in the posterior area <laughs> by a pitch. Okay. And it's like he kind of sticks his butt out a little bit there. And all these videos, you know, go viral from this one video of him getting hit by the pitch. And, you know, it's just really funny stuff. And she thought all the videos that kind of spawned off of that one video was funny. So it really, it's not like you're learning baseball or even getting to know the player that got hit by the pitch. It was just funny. And they had all these videos you know, with funny music and sound effects and all of these things from this uh, player getting hit in his rear end. So, but it's, it's fun and engaging. And again, if you go back to what we just said a few minutes ago about what Mark Cuban said, the teens 10 to 19, they're on TikTok. They're getting highlights. They're learning about the game. They're getting their news. Everything is happening on TikTok. So, you know, it's funny, like I know there's child labor laws, but I always say if if you want to think like the user, you got to hire a user. So you yeah. wonder, will we see the day where organizations who are trying to reach 10 to 19 year olds are going to go, you know what? At the very least, I need to bring in like a, a board of 10 to 19 year olds who can tell me what's compelling content to them. So we yeah, can absolutely create that for our TikTok channel. If you have, you know, 53 year old, Brian Berger creating content for TikTok, I'm not going to be nearly as good as my 17-year-old daughter is. Yeah. Cuz she gets it. She knows what resonates with the teens in that 10 to 19 demo. So, I don't know. I mean, I know social media jobs are skewing younger and younger, but if you want to get the experts talking to you about a platform like TikTok or frankly Snapchat, you know, you've got to think like a young person. Yeah, no question. I, I also have a 17-year-old who will who will be 18 later this month. And um, for the last three years, I've been going to her regularly saying, hey, how did you do this on TikTok? How are they doing this? What, <laughs> you know, what, what do you think of this? Is this funny? You know, so it, it's, uh, it is important to get other opinions. And um, you can't, uh, you know, you called me a, go- a social media guru when you, when you started this interview. Um, I, I know a lot about social media, but, you know, there are so many different opinions and so many different types of content. And TikTok's just one example of I'm not going to be an expert at that. So I need to, you know, pull up, pull in other people to help. And um, I think teams need to do that. Just like you said, I love the idea of kind of creating a, a youth board, if you will, of um, advisors, because, you know, you're not going to hire a bunch of 10 year olds to work for your team. But um, if you can get uh, your, your youth, you have, you, you have your youth, basketball programs in the NBA, the junior NBA, right? So you could have a, a junior TikTok squad of, of, of uh, teenagers to help uh, come up with content or create creative ideas. I, love I think I might've just thought of our next company there, Jeremy. <laughs> Let's do it. We, we need to go out and get a Don't. bunch of 10 to 19 year olds and yeah. have them uh, available to consult for all these teams and leagues and brands uh, yeah. So they can give real time, authentic advice to those who are having to post on TikTok and and Snapchat. So Snapchat, I haven't given you the numbers on that, 538 million monthly active users. So um, a little bit more than half of what TikTok is doing 
1 billion monthly active users. So, um, you know, again, you said you have a teen. I think the teens that I see, they're on Instagram, they're on TikTok, they're on Snapchat, and they're on YouTube. Like those are the four channels they're on a lot. Sometimes they're on Reddit. Reddit has 430 million monthly active users. You know, the one that surprised me is WhatsApp. WhatsApp has 2 billion monthly active users. And we never think of WhatsApp when it comes to sports content or anything like that. But if you have that many users on there, don't you want to figure out how to use WhatsApp to promote your sport or your athlete or your brand or like get in front of those 2 billion people every month? Yeah, it's a great question. I think WhatsApp and and even Snapchat uh, pretty much today are more about like chatting, more of like individuals chatting with their friends back and forth. Yeah. Um, I know Snapchat for a while was, uh, you know, really important to the leagues and teams uh, posting that quirky content that now is is primarily on TikTok and Instagram stories or reels. Um so I think I think Snapchat and and WhatsApp are primarily being used by that audience to communicate with their friends back and forth, sort of like texting. But but you're right. If there is a way to capitalize on that or get in front of those people, uh, you know, it, it seems like a big opportunity. Um, but I don't know if uh, you know sports sports teams and they're kind of spread so thin in terms of there's so many different opportunities and so many different channels you could be posting on. Um, I mean, you, you even talk about, uh, you mentioned Reddit and, um, there's Pinterest is still out there, right. st- you know, there's still, there's still these platforms you could be posting on. You got to kind of figure out which ones are going to give you the most return on your time, time spent. So that's why I think, uh, people haven't spent a lot of time yet on WhatsApp and kind of have died down on Snapchat. All right. A few more numbers here. So Facebook, the demo is 25 to 34. It's boomers. Instagram, the demo is 18 to 24 and 25 to 34 millennials. Uh, Twitter, as we told you before, 25 to 34, 35 to 49, um, educated, wealthy politicians, journos, uh, sports teams, leagues, brands. Um, TikTok, 10 to 19, really young demo, and they skew 60% female. And then Snapchat is 13 to 17 and 25 to 34, mostly teens on those platforms. So the other thing I want to talk to you about, because again, you used to oversee the social media department for the Phoenix Suns and you, know, yep. you work with a lot of different social media departments. Jeremy, here's what I see. Teams, leagues, brands hire 20 somethings out of college and say, go manage our social media. And they work them like a dog for two, three, four, five years. And they are covering every game and every event and every get onto the plane and in the locker room. And I mean, they are doing the job of five people. And most of these departments are very minimally staffed. You've got one, two, maybe three people gathering social content. You're always tweeting like it is your life. So the job is a high burnout job because people can do that for a few years and then they're like, I'm toast. Like I have no life. <laughs> I do nothing other than live on my devices and I need to do something else. So do you think we're going to see the day where teams go, you know what? We need to staff up. We can't burn people out. We need to have a few different people who can do you know, different things. We can't just have one person. And oh, by the way, 
there are many people that are following us on social media. So we're giving the keys to our brand to a 20 something who let's face it, there have been those mistakes out there that had been made by the 20 somethings. Yeah. And then your brand is, is torched permanently or temporarily. And you're like, Ooh, I got a fire to put out. But what did you expect when you handed the keys to a 20 something for posting on your platforms, 24, seven, 365. Yeah. There's, there's a lot, lot there that you touched on to yeah. unpack. Um, I, I, I am encouraged to see that the teams are staffing up already. I am seeing larger staffs um, in the social space. Uh, you know, now there's, they, they've got graphic designers who are dedicated to social. They've got video producers dedicated to social. Um, so a lot of the teams do have more people, but again, those people are still being asked to work you know, too many, too many games, too many hours, um, and they are burning out. So even though the staffs are getting larger, you got, now you got the creative, this is creative graphic person who's now working 82 games in the NBA or the video person who's working 80 games and, and traveling and, and the person who's kind of managing the channel and posting, writing the content, posting things, working that many games. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a challenge. And <clears throat> there's not a, there's not an easy answer um, because you can tell teams to, Oh, we'll just double or triple your staff, you know, have three people who are rotating. Um, but that's, that's tough for, you know, management of teams to buy off on if they're not seeing direct, you know, enough direct revenue coming from social. Um, and, you know, we had a lot of debates about this when I was at the Suns um, about social and about, well, you know, where, where's the, we're not seeing money coming from this. And, you know, I would say, well, how much money are you seeing come, come from the billboards that you've got all over town? You know, we don't know that. You don't, you know, how about the print ads you're still paying for and running in the newspaper? Why are we doing that? And how much money are you making from those? And the TV commercials you're running, how much money are you making from those? And, the, you know, there are no answers to those things. And it, social is very similar. Um, it's, it's all about branding, it's marketing, it's communication. And yes, you can see some ticket sales come from ticket links and some merchandise sales come from links that you post on Twitter and Facebook and what have you. But um, it's hard, I think, for senior executives to wrap their mind around these platforms that are still relatively new for them. Um, and they may not be on them themselves. You know, the, the vice presidents or presidents of teams may not be on Instagram or TikTok and and Twitter regularly. So that, so they don't fully grasp how important they are. And so they don't want to spend, spend the money to have these staffs of, uh, you know, three or four people that can rotate. So people aren't getting burned out, but yeah, that's definitely an issue for sure. And I've seen so many incredibly talented, um, social media people that do leave their teams and in many ways, their dream jobs, you know, they leave them after three years, two, two years, three years, four years, whatever it is, because they just they they can't take that mental burnout. And and I don't blame them. It is it is a lot, especially because social is 24 seven. So they feel like they need to check it on the weekends. They need to feel they feel like they got to check it before they go to bed, um, even on you know off days. And it's just uh, it's it's a constant that's always there. Yeah. The other thing that's happened, too, is. The media, the mainstream media is declining. So it used to be, you know, every team for sure had a beat reporter, maybe two that was covering yeah. their team. And now with the decline of the local newspaper and um, some of the other national outlets, 
the teams and leagues and brands and athletes themselves, they have to tell their own stories more than they did before when they could tell it through the mainstream media. So, you know, if you're making the argument about investment into social media, I think if you're not telling your own story on your own platforms, you're really behind the times and you're missing opportunities. You can't rely on, oh, you know, the local newspaper is going to cover the story of our game yesterday. And oh, by the way, you know, they, the days of like, oh, the newspaper landing in the driveway and finding out what the score of the game last <laughs> night was like, those are long gone. We're finding out in real time. And like you said earlier, there's people betting in real time and it's just different and it's all happening on social media. So the companies that haven't made an investment in their social media teams, um, it's a big mistake, I think, because again, if you're not telling your own story first, then how do you expect others to tell it for you? Yeah, no question. And even even in the days when there were newspapers, you know, hitting the driveway at 5 a.m., those newspapers didn't have writers that could cover everything your team's doing, especially all the stuff in the community that these teams do. Um, so having staffs that can dedicate, be dedicated to that and, and get a really cool video of your uh you know, basketball clinic you had at the local YMCA or the field dedication you had at the Boys and Girls Club or, uh, you know, all these different things that the organizations do. It's it's free publicity for themselves to be able to tell those stories. And so um, I do think most teams are investing in social. And and so I don't want to say they're not doing that, but I think they could do even more um, and would love to see that. But one thing you, you asked about, I didn't really finish answering the question. Um, I got sidetracked there, but uh, turning the keys over to these, these young, you know, 20 year old employees. Um, I think that is, uh, a little bit risky. So the hiring process is incredibly important that you're hiring people that you feel are, are going to be professional and are going to use common sense. And but the biggest thing I think is you have to have the right leadership in place, um, the, the right people overseeing the digital department or, or marketing team and overseeing those young people and um, having good communication channels so that if, um, if there are things that they're thinking about tweeting or posting that might be a little controversial or a little edgy, they come to you first and say, hey, I've got this idea. I want to try this. Um, it's a little edgy. It's a little out there. What do you think? And right. then have the senior person say, yeah, you know what? It is a little edgy, but it's funny and it's not really offensive to anybody. So so go for it. Or or the opposite. There's, you know, I, I appreciate your creativity and your idea behind it. But here's the reason why we can't do that. So you just kind of kind of have that coaching um, and that management structure in place. And there will still be times that, you know, someone makes a mistake and they make a lapse in judgment in terms of what they post. And uh, we have seen a few of those, but you you really don't see nearly as much of that as you would you would think, considering um, that teams are posting you know thousands of times a year on on all these platforms. If you add it all up, um, I bet each pro sports team in the NBA and NFL posts you know ten thousand times a year between Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. At um, least, so yeah. So there might be some mistakes and some errors made, but I don't think lapses in judgment happen nearly as often as, as we think um, because the, when they do happen, those become really big stories. But, but I think teams are doing a pretty good job of finding the right people that you can trust and coach and, and lead to, to avoid that stuff. You just think about, you know, again, if you look at the media, if I'm a reporter, 
most reporters have editors. And before you right. can go to uh, yes. publish something, you've got to run it by your editor. And your editor is going to fact check and they're going to go, you know, where are your sources and this and that and the other. When you have a 20-something at the helm of your social media channels, if there's no editorial process, it could be a recipe for trouble. Now, I wouldn't think you have to play Mother May I on every single post, but like you said, no. if there's ever something where you're like, you know what, I need to think about this before I hit post on this. I want to run it by my editor slash you know, boss of the department. Those are conversations, like you said, that have to be understood upon hiring because there's a lot of responsibility that comes with hitting post on an account that could have millions of followers. If you're a team, a league or a brand. Yeah. So, yep. No, no question. Um, the other thing that's interesting about social media for sports is there's no one besides the teams who has better access, right? I mean, again, you worked at the suns, you had the best yeah. access to Steve Nash and Mari Stoudemire and Sean Marion and Mike D'Antoni. And, you know, there was no one who had better access than you. You were with them on the plane. You're traveling with yeah. them. You're at practices. So it makes sense. Why wouldn't the teams who have that access take advantage of it? You can put out better content than the Arizona Republic or Sports Illustrated or The Athletic or anyone else. Yeah, or ESPN or the right. NBA itself. Absolutely. Yep. yep. So I've always kind of yeah, that, been mystified when people are like, oh, you know, we don't need to make an investment in social media. We'll have the media cover that. Or we just, you know, they don't take it as seriously as they should because you've got access to tell stories about your team, whether it's the coaches, the athletes, the front office, the fans, the sponsors, the community partners, whoever it is, you have the best access as the team. So if you're not taking advantage of that or you're just expecting that someone else is going to tell your story, I think you're making a mistake. Yeah, totally agree. And, um, and you know, it's interesting that it's, it, that is so dependent on the leadership yep. of a club yep. to, to understand that and to um, trust the staff that's in place uh, to do the right thing and to post good content and, and to, again, that goes back to the communication lines and, and having that communication about, hey, we, you're welcome to come in and shoot this and shoot that, but please don't shoot this. Or if you, if you, you know, have anything that you're not sure you should post, show it to us first. Um, and during that Steve Nash, Mike D'Antoni era you mentioned with the Suns, um, I had an, an, an amazing relationship uh, with, with Mike D'Antoni and, and Brian Colangelo, who was the team president at the time. And uh, David Griffin, who's now the president yeah. of the basketball operations for the New Orleans Pelicans. And, and he was uh, the assistant uh, GM at the time, I believe it was his title, or maybe player personnel director. But um, I had great relationships with all three of those guys. And so they really entrusted me and my team and gave us unprecedented access. And we were really the first team in, I want to say in sports, but I know in the NBA, uh, that kind of had that access to to create that incredible behind the scenes content and storytelling um, that really uh, blew up for us. And if, at that point, that was really before social media, so that was really on our website. Um, but we had this just incredible exclusive content that nobody else had, and our numbers exploded um, uh, in terms of our our web views and our video views and. 
and hours spent watching the video we were creating. And, um, and then uh, shortly after that era ended, there was a new management team that came in and um, I won't, I won't name anyone or, or, um, you know, throw anyone under the bus, but they just had a different, a different view and they were, you know, they didn't know me as well. And we, we weren't able to build that relationship like I tried or wanted to. Um, and so we were treated like outside media and we were only allowed to come into practice when the rest of the media was, and we're not allowed to be on the plane and not allowed to be in the locker room and not allowed to be in training camp. And, um, so suddenly our storytelling, you know, became very mundane and re repetitive of what the local media was putting out and our numbers plummeted. And so, um, you know, that you're absolutely right. The teams have this opportunity to, to really uh, pull back the curtain that they, the curtains that they want to pull back and are comfortable pulling back and uh, give fans a peek inside and let fans get to know players and coaches better and let them uh, see how hard the team is working and how dedicated they are. And it really, it really gets fans to rally around you and want to support the players and team more if they feel like they know you more and know more about you. And it's um, it is, it's free advertising. You're not having to pay for that advertising to reach millions of people with this incredible content that they can't get anywhere else. So yeah, all teams really need to uh, look at that and take advantage of that. Um, and, and thankfully more and more are today. Um, the current, the current Suns leadership um, does a great job with allowing that. And the, the content team that's in place there is creating some unbelievable content right now. It really reminds me of some of the stuff we were doing back then, but, but, but they're technologically even more advanced and their, their video team is uh, 10 times better than we were because we were still learning how to use cameras and what to do with them. And, and um, so the stuff that the Suns digital team is doing right now as they're making this incredible run in the playoffs um, uh, is just unbelievable. So I'm really happy to see that the team has kind of turned that corner and gone back that direction. You talk about technological advances. So you and I are consulting to the Arizona Super Bowl host committee. We were together in LA at the last Super Bowl. Yep. You pull out your iPhone 13 Pro. <laughs> I mean, the iPhone, I don't want to turn this into a commercial. They're not a sponsor, but iPhone 13 <laughs> Pro, that camera, I mean, it's literally like carrying around a multimedia production studio in your pocket. The camera on that yeah. thing, the ability to send video. I think you were streaming something like it, it, it can do yeah. everything. So you talk about, you know, when you worked there a few years ago at the suns to now the advances that have been made, you know, you used to have to carry these big cameras around and editing equipment and microphones and, you know, long lens cameras and all this stuff. And now it's like your iPhone 13 pro can do all of that. It really is unbelievable. Um, and you know, I, I get a new, I get a new phone every other year, typically. Um, and, um, this new, the new 13 pro plus max is the one I have now. And it's, <laughs> it's, I absolutely love it. It's, um, it's a phone on steroids. The cinematic mode for video is just incredible. Um, I was able to get some amazing stuff, there at the uh, at the Super Bowl in LA and, and the WNBA Finals last year and the Fiesta Bowl and just the the resolution and um, the you know the aperture and the focus is just it's, it really is incredible and um, 
I can't, you know, I, I can't wait every year when I hear that the new iPhone's coming out to hear what they've done next. Cause it, like you said, it just keeps changing and evolving. I remember uh, you mentioned uh, live streaming. I remember the, I was covering one of the Super Bowls and I, it was in Dallas, but I don't remember what year that was. Um, I was working with the NFL Players Association and uh, we live streamed from the red carpet of uh, one of the events. And we had to carry, we had to basically rent and then carry a, a giant streaming backpack um, <laughs> that, that would connect to Wi-Fi. Yeah. And, you know, they had a cord that went from the backpack to the camera. And, and that's how we were able to stream on, uh, you know, I don't, re- I don't even remember if we were streaming on our website or YouTube. I don't remember exactly, but it's crazy to think now we can, you know, stream in, you know, 4k and this unbelievable resolution right from the phone, wherever you are. Um, so it's, uh, it's really been fun to live through these <laughs> last, be a part of these, the digital space and the social media space these last 10 years and just see that evolution to continuing. I know we've got a few minutes left. One of the biggest mistakes that I think people, not just sports organizations, but everyone makes when they post on social media, they post the same content on the various platforms. And it's like, okay, we got this. Let's post it on Instagram. Let's post it on Snapchat. Let's post it on TikTok. Let's put it on Facebook. And earlier in the conversation, I gave our audience the demos for all of the different social media platforms. Well, Jeremy, they're completely different demos. The person on Facebook is probably like the parent. The person on TikTok is 10 to 19 years old. They're the child. So give some advice on when you're deciding where to post and what to post. It's not one size fits all, right? It's not, but I'm also not as, um, I'm not, I'm not, super rigid about it either. Hmm. Um, because I think, you know, if it's good content, um, you're going to reach different people on the different platforms, right? So if it's really good content, who's to say a teenager won't still enjoy it just like a 50 or 60 year old might enjoy it Hmm. now. Now, yes, ideally you have a, a large enough content team that you can be strategically thinking about the types of content you want to create for each platform. And some of it may not be go everywhere. Um, but in a lot of instances it can. So I, I don't think there's a necessarily a hard and fast rule on what should go where um, other than obviously, you know, the really uh, quirky off the wall, uh, fast beat music video that you've, created for TikTok isn't going to work on LinkedIn <laughs> and, and it probably won't work on Facebook either. Um, but you know, that doesn't, and, and some of the stuff you're going to post on LinkedIn and Facebook aren't, isn't going to work on TikTok or Instagram reels. So yes, you, you do need to think through it and not just put everything everywhere, but in some cases you can, there, there are some types of content that you want to reach as many people as you can. And, and all demographics will still be interested in it. So you just need to think through it. And then uh, and you might need to resize it. You, you might want a horizontal version for Twitter and you might want a uh, full screen, um, full screen vertical video for TikTok and Instagram reels and, and a four by five portrait size for, for Facebook and, and your main Instagram feed. Um, you got to think through that as well. So, um, but I, but I don't feel like, 
it's imperative to always have different content for different channels. Uh, I think you're missing out on some of your your reach and impressions and and getting the brand and story out um, if you're uh, too too hard uh, uh, strict about that. I guess. All right. The last question is the hardest one for you. You really got to look into your crystal all right, ball you've been on this one. Saving this up. So all the platforms that I've just mentioned have all been created in the last ten to twelve years. I mean, yeah, it's it's amazing. It's crazy, you you right? look back like you know, 2005 or so, there wasn't really social media. And it's it's all... MySpace, maybe. Although I can't remember when MySpace <laughs> really came in. It was probably a little bit or, after that or around then. Or Snapface, as Bill Belichick likes to call it. <laughs> Do you think there's an emerging need for something? Like, what's the next social media platform? That's question one. And then question two is of the existing social media platforms, if I gave you your czar of social media and you can change one thing with any social media platform to make it better, what would it be? So let's start with question number one. Oh, man. Those what, are hard questions. What do you think is coming? I don't have a great answer for that. I wish I did because I'd, I'd go invest in, in, in it myself. Um, and probably be the next Elon Musk if I knew that answer. Um, who knows? Um, I, I think it's going to continue to evolve. What we're seeing, what, what's interesting is we're seeing a lot of these channels really mimic each other and copy each other. And there's not that big a difference today between Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Um, they each have some different quirky things about them. Um but but channels are becoming more and more like each other. So so it, it is going to be interesting to see five years from now or 10 years from now, um, which of them is still going strong and which which of them have kind of completely faded away. Um, but I, I don't I don't see I wish I did. I, I, I don't have a good answer for you. I get asked this anytime I do an interview, but I don't have a good answer. I wish I wish I did know what's coming next other than they're all going to keep changing and experimenting and, and tweaking what they're doing. And then they're going to copy each other. So um, I think you kind of hit on it earlier. I, I think you, the answer that I would say sports betting, you got it. <laughs> I think there's something around live video and sports yeah. betting. And is it VR? Is it, uh, you know, just a way to watch the game in a different way and right. live betting, like, in the moment, here are the real lines. They're scrolling across your feed, and you can instantly, you know, bet on those things. So I think live video and gambling, those, yeah. And, and again, I have no idea. Maybe they're incorporated into their current social media platforms, or maybe it's a whole new, different platform that's out there. Um, that's not even created. Well, I mean, yet. you, you kind of get that now with the apps. You know, the, all these sports books have their own apps where you can get a lot of that stuff. But, but I do see that. I do think that that it will be integrated into social uh, soon. Um, I just think people want one place where people are talking about sports as they're happening. Right. They they want one place where they can watch it all. Right. Right. They don't want to have to go. I'm on the MGM app, and now I'm on the you know Apple TV app to watch the game, and now I'm on this app to, you know, do this, or I think people want it all in one place and they want to be able to watch the game, place their bet, do it in real time. 
you know, if you're at the game, I want to order my food and have it sent to my seat. I want to have a, you yeah. know, uh, Devin Booker jersey sent to my kid sitting next to me. Like you just want everything customized and you want it as easy as possible. And I don't know. We'll see. I, I don't, I don't know. On that note, I got to give a shout out to Yinscam, which is another one of my clients, but mm-hmm. they're the mobile app developers for most of the sports teams in the country and and more than 200 around the world. So wow. they're doing a lot of those things that you mentioned right there. You know, fans can order, you know, they got their mobile ticketing. You can order food from your seat. You can order merchandise to be delivered to you. Um, so they're doing a lot of those kind of things now, but, but I agree it, it you know, fans are going to want one place where they can get their live tweets and post their Instagrams and bet and, and uh, so, yeah, a lot of that's being done in the app space, but it'll be interesting to see how social kind of takes that, what they do with it. And then, okay, if you could get rid of one thing or add one thing in all of social media, what would it be? Well, I talked about the edit button on yeah. Twitter. That yep. would certainly be probably 1A for me. Um, man, you know, it's not a fun answer, but I would, uh, I would totally redo Facebook's ad platform because it, it, although I, I mentioned earlier, it, it allows you to like reach targeted people and, and it's a lot easier than, it's a lot easier to reach people than Twitter, but it is so convoluted and, uh, and frustrating as a user um, that, that I would completely uh, blow that up and start from scratch. Yeah. I would want answers. No, I mean, it's, it's, (laughs) what's your answer? Do you have something better than that? No, again, I think you hit on it earlier. Like, I think we need to get rid of all the bots and the fake, fake accounts on all the platforms, not just Twitter, like everywhere. Um, there's just a lot of propped up numbers. And I think there's a lot of, you know, fake conversations or conversations that, you know, are propped up by bots. I, I just think, you know, like people ask me all the time about podcasts. I think three quarters of the podcasts that are on iTunes right now are like rudderless ships. They ran a few episodes, they never continued and they still just populate the, you know, Apple podcast store. Same thing on Spotify, like clean it up. Give us what's most current. Give us real, you know, not the fake accounts, not the fake bots. Like I just would like, and that would be a, It'd be a huge job for a company to go through and, you know, what's real and what's fake. But I just think that's become a real problem is there's a lot of fake accounts on all of the social media platforms. And then I guess, you know, as a parent, there's a lot of creeps out there, especially like on TikTok and Snapchat that can talk to teens and there's got to be safer measures, uh, taken around that that has nothing to do with sports that's just as a parent speaking yeah that has become a gateway to young people and that is a problem so you know social media we've had a very positive conversation about social media here over the last almost hour and it's totally utilized by sports teams and leagues and brands and media outlets and there's a lot of positives about it and every time someone says to me oh, this platform might go under. I go, no, it won't because there's too many people that have their value wrapped up in that platform. If you took away, you know, the Kardashians, 100 million followers on whatever platform, that's going to hurt them. So they're not going to let that go away. And I think, frankly, Elon Musk knows that. I think he knows there's a real value for a lot of these celebrities and politicians and organizations 
who get their news out on a one-to-one basis via Twitter, I think he knows like there's a lot of value here beyond just the money. And there's a lot of power beyond just the money um, with how people communicate news. I mean, you know, whether it's, Hey, there's a natural disaster taking place or here's live pictures from the Ukraine on, on what's going on. So, yeah, no question. But yeah, he wouldn't have have spent 44 billion to buy it if, or 46 billion to buy it, if there wasn't a lot of value there. I mean, he knows how powerful that, that platform and that channel is. It's a hell of an ego play if you bought it for that reason. Um, you know, you would think he bought it for the right reasons, like you just yeah. said, instead of like, oh, I just want to say I'm the owner of Twitter and someone challenged me to buy it <laughs> on Twitter. So I right. went and bought it. Right. And and that's a flex for me. I think uh, I think Twitter is a really cool platform. I think it needs to be, you know, adjusted as we've discussed in this conversation. But, you know, I'm just glad that I finally got you on after 18 years. I mean, we've been friends for a long time. We're going to be... Uh, in New York in a couple of weeks at Sports PR Summit. Yeah. I'm so excited to excited. have you at our excited event finally. Make, make, make it to my first one. Yes. I'm just impressed you pulled out flex. That was, <laughs> that, was a, that was a very TikTok word of you. I like that. Well, you know, you got to stay young like the young people, right? <laughs> we, it, it, that's, I mean, I'll end with that. You and I are, you know, we're, we're, we're not old, but we're not teens and we're not in our 20s. So to the people out there who are kind of in our age range, you have to constantly educate yourself and reinvent yourself and make sure that you're speaking the language of today. Because if you're talking about the newspaper landing on your driveway at 5 a.m., you're years behind the current language. So I think you've done an amazing job of continuing to stay on top of all the latest trends and technologies. And, you know, you just are great. And if you need that advice from, the teens, you're able to tap into that and speak their language. And so, you know, I just, I have the utmost of respect for you inside and outside of business. And um, I love to see your, your star continue to rise. Well, thank you, my friend. I appreciate that. And, and you know, I, you called me a guru at the beginning. I hate, I hate that term because I don't want to ever project that I'm an expert. You know, I've got a lot of experience in it, but um, I know that it is always changing and evolving. And, and I think that's been one of my biggest keys to success, I guess, is, is being open-minded to keep learning and know that you don't know everything because um, you may know everything about a certain platform or channel today, but you know, a month from now, five new things are going to be incorporated that you don't know anything about. And so you have to be willing to keep learning and growing and experimenting. And, and uh, so, yeah, I'll leave it at that. But but thank you so much for having me on. I, it was great to talk to you as always. And I can't wait to see you in New York and can't wait to be at the uh, sports uh, PR summit. Jeremy McPeak, my friend and longtime social media quarterback for a number of different organizations and events. You can follow him on social media at Jeremy. Jeremy, thanks again. Of course, anytime. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, Brian Berger here. You might have heard my conversation with Nate Chackets, the co-founder and CEO of Roan a few weeks ago on Sports Business Radio. If you missed it, definitely check it out. Roan is the new official menswear partner of Sports Business Radio. I love their product. I've been a fan for a long time. Did you know David Stern was one of their first investors? Roan makes the absolute highest quality, best fitting and most comfortable performance driven clothing for men. Their entire line places emphasis on an active, balanced, and purpose-driven lifestyle. 
I'm wearing my spar joggers. I've got them in uh, heather gray. I've got them in navy. I've got my moleskin commuter slim pant. I've got my regular black commuter pant. I've got my dress shirts. So when I'm out in in in-person meetings, I have the nicer Roan product to wear. But most of the time, I'm working from home. And I've got my rain long sleeve gray heather camo. I've got my rain long sleeve hoodies. I am wearing the shorts for workouts, the seven inch Mako shorts. So I'll tell you what, from top to bottom, whether it's casual or business wear, Roan has me covered. I know they're going to have you covered too. And Roan is offering Sports Business Radio podcast listeners 15% off your purchase. Go to Roan.com, R-H-O-N-E.com and enter code SBR15 at checkout, like Sports Business Radio 15, SBR15 at checkout. Receive 15% off your purchase. That's Roan.com, R-H-O-N-E.com and enter promo code SBR15 at checkout. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. And thanks to our partner, Molka Sports, for powering Sports Business Radio. Learn more about them online at molkasports.com. That's M-A-L-K-A sports.com. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions, griggsproductions.com.